0: This is the Aftermarket Radio Network.
1: All right. Welcome, everyone. Thank you again for joining me for another installment in Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and today I have a very special guest, a friend of mine, Hakan Light of Garage Gurus, a technical trainer and technical support provider. And he's going to join me today and we're going to talk about uh, something very important uh, in general, but also to me because uh, it does tie in a lot to the substance use disorder and uh, a lot into uh, other topics uh, that I've done. I haven't done so much on this podcast, but on... uh, Carms podcast on the Remarkable Results radio podcast that this spills into that specifically like uh, the social media stuff that I talked about with Scott Brown. And the topic is mental health and something that probably doesn't get discussed enough uh, honestly and out in the open. Uh, usually it's a subject of getting ribbed uh, or some teasing, uh, and that I'm not saying that's always bad either, depending on the situation. But there is some very serious things going on. Uh, so, Hawken, thank you very, very much for joining me. Glad to be here. Honestly, I think I think I'm going to turn the reins over to you right away. I think maybe the best way to start it out from my end is simply that uh, mental health disorders uh, are uh, very prominent in our society. We're talking millions and millions of people, Um, somewhere in the neighborhood of one in five and one in four adults have a mental health uh, issue or an illness, uh, a concern, and a great many of them are going undiagnosed, untreated, and that would be where it could take a tangent into substance use disorder, but I think I'd just rather turn it over to you. Awesome. Awesome.
0: So for me, um, my experience with mental health is, uh, you know, it's pretty personal. There's been stuff I've gone through personally, but also I have a sister who struggles quite a bit with uh, some mental health stuff, Um, never really been fully diagnosed, but has gone through a lot of stuff. So, you know, there's been some, some pretty direct contact with that, but also my own experience, which most of what I've dealt with and struggled with personally has been a result of, actually hockey. Um, so playing hockey, I've had a number of concussions. Um, concussions can cause issues with mood, um, issues with, uh, you know, kind of being able to control your emotions, uh, being able to feel kind of steady, you know, just on a daily basis, as far as, you know, your baseline, whether you're feeling really good, feeling really terrible. I mean, everybody has bad days. That's completely normal. You know, there are days where you wake up and you're just not feeling a hundred percent and that's perfectly normal. Um, I don't think people should ever be concerned to admit that.
1: Um, but and we've seen we've seen the extremes of that from I think maybe primarily the NFL players and professional wrestlers. Oh, yeah. We've seen that amplified way further than what you're talking about, but taken to that degree. Um, meant much of which can be attributed to. Uh, Not just like a single concussion here or there, but many and maybe most likely consistently over a period of
0: time. It is a cumulative effect. The more you have, um, the more severe of symptoms you can develop. You know, there is actually an NHL goalie who's gone through, ironically, a lot of the substance abuse stuff, but also physical injury and whatnot, and has been very vocal and open about his mental health of the last couple of years his name is robin lenner and he plays for the vegas golden knights but he's been really vocal about it it's been a really inspiring thing for me to watch from afar just because you know personally after dealing with some of this stuff when you go through concussions and i've had quite a few of them fortunately most of them have not been loss of consciousness um but the first one i ever got was in a car accident where i got rear-ended by a guy who was going probably 50 miles an hour and i was at a dead stop at a stoplight and you know my neck snapped forward real hard, and I smashed my head on the back of the seat, and I did lose consciousness for a short period of time. And after that, I had a number of concussions after that in hockey. Um, and I think it's in many ways it seems like when you get one, it gets easier to get more. Well, I don't know if that's medically factual or not, but it seemed like that was the case.
1: Yeah, I think it is. I think you can also not to keep going with the sports stuff. Um, but honestly, I think you can also recognize that in MMA and, or probably even more importantly, boxing. Oh yeah. Which over time they quote unquote lose their chin. And I I think it's It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very much what you're saying that um, once you've had that type of an injury, you're a little more prone to it. Maybe not like immediately right away, but especially the way you're talking cumulative and not cumulative so much, even just every time it's a concussion, but head trauma, head trauma, head trauma. So you've, you've had the bad head trauma where there was a concussion followed up with uh, head trauma, head trauma, and not necessarily enough to cause a actual concussion or cause you get a, you know, the lights to go out or anything to go unconscious just enough after a while, it it starts building up and you, it's not building up like a resistance. It's the opposite. It's taking away, uh, your resistance. Absolutely.
0: And it's, so what it's done, at least for me is I've experienced, you know, I've had some issues with, uh, depression, um, it's caused a lot of sleep-related issues for me. Um, depression hasn't really been so bad most of the time. There have been, you know, bouts where it's, it's usually after a concussion because what it takes away from you is your ability to exercise for quite a period of time. Um, it takes away, well, your favorite activity. So for me, hockey is like my release or my activity I get to do that helps me de-stress. And it took that away from me every time I had a concussion, which made things real difficult because – if you don't find another strategy to deal with your stress and your frustration and whatever happens in your daily life, it gets really challenging to be able to maintain some level of baseline, you know, feeling good or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I think that was tough. And then I also went through some issues with uh, atrial fibrillation. So that took away playing hockey for uh, about three years until I finally got on a medication that has controlled it. Uh, surgery did not stop it from happening. I'd had two surgeries and it didn't kill it. Um, I may go back and try for another surgery at some point yeah. to get off the medication, but.
1: Yeah. When you're talking surgery, you're talking about
0: ablation. Yes. Yep. So going through the heart with a catheter and first time they try with a cryo balloon that basically goes into the artery and freezes and kills the nerves hopefully. And yeah. then the second time they go in with a tripwire wire and they try to burn the areas and scar the tissue to basically block the electrical signals in the area of the artery. That's not supposed to be getting yeah. a heartbeat signal essentially.
1: Now, yeah. Not to go sideways with this, but atrial fibrillation <laughs> is uh, we'll just split the heart up. Really the hearts has multiple, you could really cut it and divide it in four areas, but we're going to just split it in half, not top to bottom, but we're going to have a, Top and a bottom. And the top is the atria. And what he's talking about, atrial fibrillation, is there's something called a sinus node on your heart. And that essentially is what delivers the electrical pulse to your heart to cause it to constrict and, you know, pump blood from the top to the, you know, or really, I think it comes from the bottom to the top. And then that isn't so important. What happens is there's also cells around the sinus node. That with people that have atrial fibrillation, these cells are also capable of delivering that electrical pulse. And for whatever reason, and as far as I know, they don't know exactly why, these other cells decide that they're going to start firing the heart. And it it doesn't fire the whole heart. It fires the top of the heart. It's not even so much a pulse as much as it starts to vibrate almost to flutter. And some people have atrial fibrillation. They don't know it. They have no idea, no symptoms. Other people, the symptoms are so bad, they can't hardly get out of bed because it's so bad. Uh, And the reason I know all this is I have atrial fibrillation. I'm pretty lucky when I can tell when I'm in AFib, but I don't really have any symptoms. I can feel it in kind of my throat and chest a little bit. Uh, Sometimes I'll get some clammy skin, but I've never had loss of breath, never felt tired, never couldn't you know run up the stairs or do my job or anything like that. But I know some people it was very uh, I, serious it's a ser- it's a serious issue all in all. I mean, it's your heart. <laughs> yeah, right. when's that not serious, right? <laughs> right? Yes, but serious in that it it does affect their activities. And in your case, it caused you to not be able to go out and exercise/slash play hockey. Where mine, they there was no restrictions. They're basically like they didn't believe I was ever an AFIB until they uh, sent me home with a monitor uh, and witnessed it. And I was in it for a few hours, and I could tell I was in it, but I never slowed down my activity. I told them I could feel it, but I. Had no other symptoms, but I wanted to ask. And if you don't mind me asking, no, no. A lot of people talk about depression, and uh, as far as I know, I don't have it, or if, I don't think I've ever had it. Um, what what were some of your symptoms? Because I think we talk about depression a lot; it gets thrown out there, but we don't really talk about the actual symptoms, other than sometimes you know about the the really bad symptoms of just not. You know, people not being able to get out of bed in the morning, just not being able to get the gumption to even go. Uh, but what were some of your symptoms, if, if you don't mind me asking? No, no, not at all. No, so I mean,
0: in some ways, it's kind of, I'd say it's similar to the not getting out of bed, but maybe in a degree, so a spectrum, right? So getting the ball rolling, you know, getting the motivation to go start an activity. So in many ways, it, it was, you know, once you got started doing any activity, whether it was going to work or whatever it was, you were fine. And, you know, I frankly, I've always had no problems with attendance at jobs, which is awesome. Um, You know, I've been able to fight through even when I'm having a bad day or whatever. It's been something I've always been able to get through. I think the big thing that it really affected for me was, and I don't know if it was just the depression or if this is all related to the concussions or, you know, if it's anxiety related, you know, depression and anxiety go together a lot. I think more people could probably say they've suffered from anxiety than in depression, but they can both happen together quite a bit. And, you know, I'd say for me, anxiety is definitely something I'm prone to. I know my mom has a history of having a lot of issues with that. Um, And so I think that's definitely a factor for me uh, is making me more prone to having anxiety issues and anxiety again. Just kind of that stress feeling like it's really hard to get motivated to get going. Once you get going, you're like, hey, I'm happy to be at work. Hey, I'm happy to be talking with people and visiting with friends and whatever else. Even hanging out with friends. When depression got real bad, it was like I would plan to go do stuff with friends and then I wouldn't follow through. I would still go to my job, but when I wanted to do recreational activities, I would bail and I would not go and spend time with those people. And that's when I knew there was a problem. Because I was like, well, the things that I know I actually enjoy, I won't do those things, even though I know I'll enjoy them. And, you know, there was just that mental load of going out and spending time with people. You just feel like garbage. You don't want to do anything. And that's really, you know, that was really hard to get over and get through. But thankfully, at this point, I I don't have issues with that anymore. You know, I'm back. I feel like I've gotten to the point now, and probably some of this is related to being able to play hockey again because my AFib is under control. But Overall, just mentally, I feel great now, but a lot of it is, you know, it's taken a lot of work. It's taken time. And, you know, I I did explore, you know, I talked to people before, doctors and whatever, about, you know, the concussion stuff and exploring the depression and the anxiety stuff. And so much of it, I did not, I'm not, I didn't want to get on medication because there's so many not only issues with different medication, but it's not an exact science, right? So sometimes they have to put you on different things here and there, and you have to kind of experiment to figure out what works with you. And, you know, I had some mixed results. I tried a couple of things, and I did find something that worked great for anxiety, but then it was one of those pills where they're like, don't drive and whatever. And I said, well, that doesn't work because I drive a lot. So better not take that. So, um, you know, I I quit taking that medication before, I started my job at uh, Garage Gurus, and then basically at that point, I was looking for another solution. So I discovered a device that is a, basically, it's if you're familiar with deep brain stimulation, which they do with electrical impulses, it can be used to treat really significant depression or anxiety or insomnia, but they basically created a device that is used over-the-counter. So you buy it, you can get a prescription for it. Do you drill the holes in your head by yourself? Or no, it's actually kind of like a template. No, it looks like headphones, oh. actually. So it's you actually clip it right onto your earlobes. You put an electroconductive solution on these little pads, and then you clip it onto your earlobes, and it sends a microcurrent through your brain. And the microcurrent, uh, basically from, if I remember correctly now, I could be screwing up the description of the waves, but it disrupts the, the waves that they feel or that they have found scientifically cause depression and anxiety and insomnia, because apparently they're all similar in that regard, which makes sense why they're commonly found together and they basically have determined that this electrical current going through your brain you do the sessions on a regular basis and it actually helps you a lot with insom they they basically started this whole project and initially started this with veterans and that's where it grew out and became now it's available to the general public via a prescription from your doctor.
1: So when do, you, when do you do this?
0: Just sitting on the couch, you know, sit on the couch uh, when you lay down, you know, on your bed before you go to sleep, you know, depending on how significant or how your body reacts to it. So the microcurrent has a variable level. Um, and basically, when you're using the device, you turn the microcurrent up. Uh, it's like I can't remember the unit. Uh, I assume microamps, but it's uh, up to 250 is like the, the threshold they want you to get to. And you can go higher until you start to feel like a vertigo sensation and then you dial it back one. And then once you're below the vertigo sensation by one notch, then they say, run it on that. And basically you run it for about 20 minutes. Uh, they said, if you don't start to feel lighter or better or whatever you want to describe it as after the 20 minutes, then you extend the interval longer. Um, but as a general statement, about 20 minute session on a daily basis or every couple of days seems to make a big difference. And, um, I've seen just tremendous improvement. My sleep quality has gone up a bunch. Uh, I get, I'm able to kind of dial back and not feel anxious. Well, a great example would be when I do help shops with diagnosis, if there's a really difficult car, I can't stop winding myself up in my head about that, you know, and going, oh man, did I forget something? Did I check this and this? Did I not check this? Did I skip a step I shouldn't have? And I get wound up and I get really like, Anxious. You know, I'm not depressed anymore, but the anxiety is a problem for sleep. And so doing this particular device has made a big difference with being able to quiet my mind when I go to sleep. So I think there's a really, really wide level of value in this in this tool. And there's more than one company that makes them. But the one that I've been using is called AlphaStim. And you know I have an awesome doctor who actually was the one who ultimately got my AFib diagnosed after being to multiple people and specialists who couldn't figure it out. And she was the one that gave me the take-home monitor like you had. And that's how they found that that's in fact what it was. But she's been a tremendous doctor. And After seeing her, you know, I talked with her about the device and she goes, you know, I've never used this or prescribed this before, but I think you should try it. And so she gave me a prescription and I tried it and, you know, I've given her the feedback now and I'm sure she'll prescribe it to more people. But for a non-drug treatment, it's incredible what a difference it's made for me. I mean, just huge. So huge.
1: So it looks like it's considered cranial electrotherapy stimulation. Yep, that sounds right. Okay that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's That's awesome. Uh,
0: and and to be completely honest with you, you know, so uh it's My wife deals with the mental health field as well. And so, you know, she doesn't have anything that she's concerned about, per se, you know, with her own concerns, although she's had issues with not being able to fall asleep sometimes. So she tried it, too, and just was like, I'll try it and see if it makes any difference for me, too. And I said, sure, why not? And she said she feels that it's also made a difference for her, even though she doesn't have any specific concerns other than maybe some issues falling asleep. And I'm sure she probably has some anxiety from time to time because who doesn't now these days? yeah yeah I mean, we all do, I think
1: <laughs> if you're not if you don't have any anxiety, you're not doing enough right <laughs> Not to end up on a tangent, but our our society current society not I don't even mean it like the United States of America, although maybe we might be a little worse than most, just the current way um, information is spread and available to everybody worldwide uh, but the u s. With twenty four seven news networks, multiple twenty four seven news networks, your phone—I mean, you learn about things right away. Uh, not just the news, even Facebook, Twitter. You know what? What are these people doing? Oh wow, they're so successful. They're having so much fun. I'm not having that much fun. <laughs> what am I doing wrong? <laughs> right, and and it just keeps piling on and piling on and piling on. And um, I was going to mention earlier, and it's it's not told really all that important, but the number one um, mental illness, if you will, in the United States, uh, by far, by far, is anxiety. Makes sense. It it is, by far, almost 20%. Almost 20% have some level, in in the the level, meaning to a a disorder level. Oh, for sure. Not just like normal, you know, quote-unquote normal anxiety that I think any any reasonable human being would get, you know, be it, you know, asking somebody out on a date or going and speaking in front of people
0: like situational.
1: Yes, absolutely. That's, I think that's a very good word. (laughs) That's a very good word. You've used situational. Uh, Second in line is depression. So the only reason I was going to bring that up is like you mentioned, um, if you want to say suffering that you're suffering from a couple of these, or, or afflicted, whatever, whatever terminology, and I mean, I want to be careful to be accurate. That's the two most common ones. Even with the AFib, like that is for a uh, heart issue, it is like the most common one.
0: Yeah, I drew all the short straws, right?
1: <laughs> More or less. <laughs> What else is going on with you? That's common. We could just find a list. It's almost like identifex. We could just. Well,
0: I was overweight, so I had to lose a bunch of weight. So yeah, I All mean, right. kind of, a- kind of a lot of things. Yeah, X amount of just-
1: years old, Caucasian male. Yep. What are the What are the heavy hitters here? Right, right. Cardiovascular. <laughs> oh, it's AFIB number one? Mental oh, health. And also, they said Nordic
0: heritage people which of course my mom's side is all swedish apparently have more prone to afib for whatever reason that again they don't seem to know why it's caused so no i diagnosed it it's I, it's lutefisk <laughs> i swedish, do not right? that. Well, i'm yeah, swedish yep. i don't eat that though <laughs> Lefsa, maybe but not that ah yeah the... but i like anything that's bread, pretty much so
1: uh, the other thing you mentioned it, and I just kind of want to make sure it doesn't get glossed over either is physical activity. It's extremely important to mental health. Yeah, it is. So the the fact that you can get out and, uh, especially like you're talking about hockey, it doesn't whatever the activity, the physical activity doesn't matter what is, it is. If you walks, enjoy it, running, yeah, it just makes yeah, it that exactly. easier to do, right? Yeah,
0: it does. And, and, you know, it's so much of that is, you know, some of the exercise stuff is I did find other ways to exercise before I went back to hockey during the period of time I was on medication and I was not able to, or I was unsure if I'd be able to play hockey again. I actually made it a mission to get in shape before I tried to play hockey again, because I figured that would give me a better chance at not having an issue. Um, and you know, I, I found a lot of different solutions. You know, I did started doing some weightlifting that was helpful. Um, bought a truck we have a nice treadmill now we got a really good one that does 40 percent incline so Jeez. you can jack it way up and walk really slow but get Why like I a really good burn up the walls what yeah pretty much <laughs> so it's great you know it's good for that um We have an exercise bike, and I actually figured out how to – so I play quite a few video games, and I was playing Destiny 2 and playing online and doing the exercise bike. And I can exercise bike while playing video games, and it works great because your adrenaline gets going from playing player versus player video games. And in addition to while you're doing that, you're focused on the game, not focused on the exercise, and that made it so much easier. I could sit down and bike for an hour and burn 700 calories, and I'd be like, I bike for an hour? Holy crap. And I burned 700 calories. Holy crap. Amazing. (laughs) And uh, so I did that for quite a while and uh, really had great success with
1: that. Um, There's a new Final Fantasy coming out. I might have to get a treadmill.
0: It it works good. Yeah, well... Treadmill, maybe you could do with a keyboard and a mouse. Not, <laughs> maybe, but... Uh, then I have to the, the, build a PC. <laughs> yeah, right? You got to build a like, PC. I like now. where this is going. Yeah. Well, they do, make, <laughs> they do make treadmills that have desks at them and whatever, so you could actually do that. But I found that that worked pretty good. In the summer, um, well, all the warm times when there's no snow on the ground, basically. It's two months a year. Yeah, basically. <laughs> started bicycling, um, and I do like... I just do paved paths at like state parks that's all i do i'll do some like on the street and whatever around town and whatnot but i just you know i'll go to i'd go to paved stuff i don't do off-road or whatever very often i'll do dirt paths and whatever with a mountain bike but um i found that to be good because you know i it's it's so beautiful outside so much of the year when it's not snowy and it can be when it's snowy too but you know i don't want to take a bike out then but I got more connected to the outdoor part of things and really found that that was helpful to my mental health uh, in a way that was, you know, I didn't enjoy it as much as hockey, but it was something that I could get on board with and found that it was still serving a similar function. Um, And that's really what it was.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you're checking pedestrians or other bikers, they don't really like it. (laughs) Hockey, it's kind of accepted. Yeah, right. (laughs) Running
0: people over. No, but it it just finding an adaptive strategy, I think, for for your mental health care is really important. So, you know, not every person is going to be able to do the same thing to relax or release or whatever. And I think going back to the anxiety thing, that's really, you know, it's a problem when you can't relax. So. I don't know if it's anxiety caused or what it might be, but if you're finding that like your moods are unpredictable or you find that you get mad easily over stupid stuff, things that you're like, why am I mad about that? Or, you know, someone else in your life points out, and my wife has found that, you know, over the many years we've been married now, there's been some times where like my mood seemed erratic or off or unpredictable in a way that was really bizarre to her. And she was like, I don't get it. This is strange. Now, a lot of that is very commonly known to be affiliated with concussion but it could also be related to anxiety or depression. So not knowing what the root cause was, the alpha stim seemed like a really logical thing. And I will absolutely say that since I started doing it, my moods have been much more straight line level and much more predictable and consistent. Everything, as a general rule, I control them pretty well, but there were times where I didn't. And now that I've been using that device, I've had just amazing stabilization
1: overall. Did she help you find that or how did you end up finding that?
0: Well, ironically, she left one of her psychology today or whatever magazines that she gets as a therapist. Uh, she got that particular magazine and just had it sitting on the the car seat and it was flipped to the back and that was on the back cover of the, the thing. And I jumped in the car to go to hockey and saw it and was like, Hey, what the hell is that? And I read about it and being a nerd for technology, I was just like, I didn't think about you know getting it for me at first, but then I read about it and I went and read the studies and all the other stuff. And I said, I'm going to try it. Sounds awesome. Uh, what I got to lose, right? Insurance, pay for it. Give it a shot. And it, it is an overly cost prohibitive if insurance will not pay for it. Uh, I think if you get the one that's just for brain stimulation, it's like 700. So it's not cheap, but, you know, if we're talking about net cost over time, other than some double A batteries, seven hundred dollars is not a lot to pay for helping your mental health at all. And I mean, especially
1: it. if it works. I mean
0: Yes. And it does. I mean I, I can't yeah. say enough about it. It's it really has made a difference in a in a monumental way. Like in a way that I would have looked at and gone, no way is that gonna work that good. And then it did and I mean it's been like holy crap. It's just it's like night and day. It's been phenomenal.
1: That that is awesome. Um did, so when you started, I know you said you were on some meds for a while. Mm-hmm. Did they ever go discuss or did you ever try um, talk therapy? And it's not a suggestion. I'm just asking. No,
0: no, I did. Uh, I did much when I was much younger and first had issues. Um, I did. And I think the really the hardest part about it was finding a therapist that you you connect with. Right. So it's I, I think a lot of it. And, you know, obviously speaking to my wife, being a therapist and whatnot, so much of it is about building a relationship. So you have to find the right person who connects with you and can build that relationship. And, you know, I think that's probably one of the hardest things for a lot of people when they try to go to therapy, like talk therapy, is that, you know, they might go out and have a bad experience once or twice, or they might see somebody who uh, they don't connect with and they can't form the right relationship or they're just not the right person. Um, it's really no different than any other situation when you're making friends or you're, you know, starting at a new job or looking at starting a new job. It's all about finding the right fit. So yeah. I did, you know, I, I, I just did not run across the right person and I have no doubt that there's someone out there that is the right person and whatnot. And, um, you know, I've certainly considered it and my wife has bugged me a ton because she said, hey, probably help you know, you found a solution that works great, but why not do that too? And I said, yeah, that's fair. But, you know, I get free therapy from her. Uh, not really. Yeah, I'll <laughs> probably
1: say something and she'll be calling me, yelling at me how wildly inaccurate this is. But it just seems to me that uh, you know, TV movies have uh, done a great disservice in portraying what goes on in those sessions in that you go a couple of times and you cry or you lay on a A couch and they're analyzing you, and then they, you know, tell you that when you were a kid, you know, something traumatic happened, whatever. I'm not even talking like super seriously horrible horror story type stuff, but just, you know, and that's what we get. That's what I think a lot of people are under the impression of that you're just going to go in there and they're going to open you up and just peel back all these layers until you're just raw and. You know, you walk out of there and you're just like this open nerve. Well, I think there's some situations where that's true, but it's not normal talk therapy. That no, It's really I, about them building a relationship and arguably, horrific, non-technically accurate word, but a friendship. Because at some point, they have to start pushing you. So they have to form this bond with you or you have to try to form this bond so that after a while they can start pushing you off your center or out of your comfort zone because your comfort zone might not be so healthy. And when they start doing that, and it just takes time. And I think we're instant gratification society and we watch this stuff on you know, TV and we expect to go in there and go through a couple boxes of tissues and come out a new person and it's not, it just doesn't happen.
0: Well, and so much of it is I think people there's, there's a perception that you go to a therapist and the therapist is going to fix you. And and the reality is, is that the right attitude to go into a therapist with is that it's work you're going to go in and you're going to have to put in the work. And the only way it's going to get better is if you're willing to get better and you're ready to do the work because they're going to give you the tools. So that's what the therapist can do. They can teach you methods. They can give you tools. They can give you ideas of how to do stuff, but you still have to take the responsibility. And it's ironic because, like you said, it really does draw a strong parallel to substance abuse because think about anyone who's dealt with addiction. You can't force them to stop. You could lock them up. You could keep them away from drugs, but it's never going to stop until they decide they're ready to be done. They have to make that choice ultimately. And when they're ready to be done, they'll be done. And if they're not ready to be done, they won't.
1: Yep. Or or they could be ready to be done. They still need that toolkit like you're talking about. That You have to be taught and given these tools to use. Almost almost like the Snap-on guy. Yeah. He ain't going to fix the car for you. He's got some tools for you, you know, and I guess you You still have to know how
0: to use them. A scope is a great example, right? Yeah, you don't. there's I could give you the best scope on the planet. I could give you a Pico scope. And if you have no training and no knowledge and understanding of how to use that scope, it's worthless to you. Now, that's not saying it's empirically worthless, but that does mean to you it's not a tool that's going to help you until you learn how to use it. So mental health is, I think. Uh, uh, just a weirdly good parallel actually to the automotive world because you know when you're you've talked about relearning and stuff and in many ways it is the human body and the human thought process and the human the way you wake up and operate every day it's a pattern right so you have learned adaptive values just like an ECM and you have to reset those and you have to be willing to stumble through hey, the car runs like garbage now. Hey, I feel awkward and weird right now because I'm trying to relearn my own adaptive patterns. Okay, that's normal. Get comfortable with that. But it's all about being accepting of wanting to improve, right? And I think that's, if you take that attitude and you say, hey, I want to get better, regardless of whether it's about getting better at working on cars or improving yourself or making your mental health better or whatever, if you adopt that attitude in every respect you can, you will have infinitely better results. I mean, it's off the chart, you know?
1: Yeah, I know, I know I throw the word around a lot. I just think, and I'm not an authority. I am so not an authority. But neuroplasticity is, if anything should give people hope, be it mental illness, be it, and not all mental illness, but a lot, and substance abuse disorder, that there is hope that you can Quote unquote, fix yourself that you can either make drastic improvements, if not cure yourself of some of these things. And I, that isn't to be like snake oil stuff. There's certain levels of anxiety that you could absolutely learn to deal with and uh, accept. And um, I guess we'll just say cure yourself. Some of it happens naturally, right? Like yeah. you're really, really anxious to go speak in front of 30 people. Five people, no problem. 30, 50, 100. That's nerve-wracking. A little bit nerve-wracking, yes. (laughs) I've done it. Yeah, that's nerve-wracking. Yeah, you go do it a few times and you make every mistake possible or anything that could happen and go wrong does. Oh, it has. (laughs) And you you survived. And you just kind of adapt and maybe build a little bit of a callus here and there, but you adapt and now 50 people, no problem. And I don't want to oversimplify that either. I don't want to make it sound like, hey, you know, if you you do have uh, an anxiety issue that you just need to subject yourself to stresses and train yourself out of it. I I don't want to imply that. No,
0: but it's funny you say that, right? There's hope. There's There's actually a hockey podcast that I was listening to specifically, and they were talking about some anxiety is good because it means you have an opportunity to grow. You know, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It can be used as a tool if you frame it the right way in your head. And obviously if it doesn't get to a certain level, because of course, once it gets to a certain level, it becomes crippling. But if you learn how to manage it and cope with it correctly, it can be also the first time you look at a car and it's an issue you've never seen before. It's, it creates anxiety. You're going, Oh crap, this is going to be tough to figure out. i don't know if I'm going to be able to figure it out. Like you, you hope you can, and you think you can, but you don't know and you feel stressed and anxious about it. And then you just, you know, you follow your process, you stick to the things that, you know, work, you check off the boxes, you follow, you know, you can enable yourself to get through things that you think you might not be able to otherwise. You're the the phrase you're stronger than you think is true in a lot of situations. And so much of it is just about, you know, challenging yourself, but don't Overlook the tools that are out there that can make it easier. So if it gets to that level where it's it is causing you issues sleeping or you can't wind yourself down at night and sleep, consider, you know, talk to your doctor. Look at look at medication if that's necessary. They have antihistamines kind of like Benadryl that you can use for anxiety that will dial you back. And I think that's, you know, and those are harmless because you take them before bed and it dials you back and you don't have to worry about, oh, crap, I can't drive tomorrow or whatever. You know, some of the stuff they give you that's more heavy duty. Yeah, you might not want to take that. If you're doing, you know, working on cars, you might smash your hand or God knows what else. But (laughs) but the tools are out there.
1: I I have a list of things um, that I think are more or less in general uh, of mental illness, mental uh, health disorders that. I don't want to raise anyone else's listening, their anxiety level. Like, I don't want to give everyone, boy, I I shouldn't even try to think of the word. I think it's the opposite of placebo effect. It's the opposite where it was right on the tip of my tongue. I know what you're thinking of, but I can't place it now. But basically, somebody starts talking about symptoms, and then you start feeling like you have those symptoms. Oh, it's like Munchausen's. Right, yeah. Sort of. That's at a (laughs) very... Uh, advanced degree Um, but stuff that and maybe just stored in the back of your head I don't think you want to keep this so much at the forefront and really start analyzing yourself you know that that would not help but might give you more anxiety (laughs) yeah yeah but just to be aware of and not just for yourself for you know loved ones but excessive worrying and fear Uh, feeling excessively sad and low and I know excessive like what does that even mean but I think we're talking almost to a debilitating degree.
0: Yeah, when it starts to disrupt your ability to do normal tasks or go to work or spend time with your friends, if you stop wanting to do things that you normally would want to do and your interests haven't actually changed, then that's, that's a sign for sure. When things go numb or like your favorite food doesn't taste good anymore, I've experienced all of those things and I can definitely tell you, you know something's broken when you're like, I don't want pizza. I love pizza. If I don't want pizza, something's wrong. No doubt about it. Or I'm dieting. That could be.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you still want it. You just I still want yourself. it. I just not allowed to have it as much. <laughs> I, you know what I do? I scrape the pizza topping and I eat that. I just leave <laughs> the crust. I'm not saying I don't like crust, but good crust is hard to find. Yeah. Well, I mean it's a lot of carbs and anyways. Um confused thinking or problems concentrating and learning. So the confused thinking that for me, is normal. So, <laughs> maybe I better think about that. Um, extreme mood changes, including uncontrollable highs or, uh, or feelings of euphoria. Uh, prolonged, or like you said, you said this specifically, prolonged or very strong feelings of irritability or anger. And again, something you mentioned, avoiding friends and social activities. Something you would have normally participated in, now something has changed difficulties understanding or relating to other people Uh, that might be something else that's normal for me (laughs) especially customers Uh, changes in sleep habits or feeling tired and low energy I think that's something we associate automatically with depression and it may not necessarily be it could be more it could be something else yeah it could changes in eating habits such as increased hunger or complete lack of appetite difficulty perceiving reality uh, so legitimately hallucinating um, I've never had this um, I've known one person and he went he was a, um, I believe a roommate of my brothers when he was in college and it ended up he had schizophrenia dude this is like straight out of um, a beautiful mind um, there's another movie I was trying to think of that was really good. Also kind of illustrating that, but just f- like feeling of being watched uh, v- to a debilitating degree. It was, he was a really good guy and is, I think he's, you know, I think he's okay now or in, in um, some sort of treatment. Supportive care environment. Yeah. Last I heard, it's not, it's not BS that people have that and a lot of times they don't know it. Because that's their reality um another one I wouldn't you wouldn't call it a mental uh illness, but yet another um symptom I guess was uh, the late Robin Williams with his um Lewy body syndrome mm, yeah, they had a terrible time perceiving reality and my uh,
0: uncle actually they think might have had that too, and he had some issues with the same thing
1: did they diagnose him um and maybe. I don't mean this as like insulting to them, the, the doctors and the medical staff, but did they misdiagnose him as having Parkinson's and treat him for Parkinson's?
0: I'd have to ask my mom about that. I know there was some contention over what specifically was affecting him and i know his immediate family was very convinced it was the lewy body dementia and i know that there was i think ultimately that's what it was determined at the end of the road was the issue when he died and whatnot but um i'm not sure if they treated it the other way as uh in it you know initially and whatnot
1: uh another one overuse of substances like alcohol or drugs Definitely
0: done that before, <laughs> the booze, the booze, not the other stuff, but <laughs> but it is self-medicating, it is, right?
1: You know, it, it's, again, I don't want to sound like I'm anti-alcohol, but call it, it is what it is. It's just a legal drug. It is. No, it is. People use it um, arguably more than any other drug, and a lot of it is self-medication.
0: It is. No, it absolutely is. I mean, it's it can be used to make you feel better, and... I, I, you know, after I had some concussions and whatnot, and, uh, I definitely developed like, I, I wasn't at the point where like, you know, I didn't do anything to cross the line or whatnot. I always, when I did drink excessively, it was always when I was at home for the entire evening and whatnot, but I would have way more than was acceptable. Like by definition, I had multiple glasses of scotch and that was too many. Now this is many years back now, but you know, I quit drinking completely because of the atrial fibrillation, because Without their knowledge of what could potentially cause it, you know, I was in my 20s then when I was drinking like that and I and they just said, you know, it could be that it could be because you're an athlete and you play all the time. And I was like, well, I'm not quitting that if I can avoid it, but I will quit drinking all booze. I quit drinking all caffeine. So, I, you know, it was, again, looking at the totality of the picture and going, well, for my mental health, I'd really like to play hockey for as long as I can until my body can't anymore. And if I want to do that, then I have to quit this other stuff. And I mean, it's, I have no regrets. I mean, it's weird sometimes, you know, when I'm at a bar or a restaurant and everybody else around me is drinking, but they have a lot of non-alcoholic beers and I do actually like beer, but now I can have beer that doesn't have alcohol. So it's kind of nice. You know, I can engage in the same activity with people and it's not weird anymore because I'm sitting there with a Bex Zero and everybody else has whatever they're drinking and you know, it's, I can still take part in the the social activity, which is nice. But the other part of it is I found that when I not only quit drinking all alcohol, but all caffeine, my st- sleep pattern really just got much more stable and consistent. There was a lot less issues with like, now I'd like my body rarely will sleep in on a weekend, even if I want it to like you know, sleep until like nine or nine thirty, something like that. But I used to be able to sleep way later. Like, I could sleep till noon if I wanted to when I was doing caffeine and alcohol because I could stay up really late and I could go to bed really late and I could get up really late. And now my body's like, no, I can't do any of that stuff. You got to go to bed. You got to get up and you're getting up whether you want to or not. So, so much of it has changed and you just become a lot more aware of so much of just your reality when you're not having anything to, to take you from here to here or here to here. Every time you take that away, it's just like adding or subtracting fuel on a car. It runs differently, right? Yep. So it, the human body is really no different than when you're sticking other substances in it. Legal or not legal, it, it responds in a specific way. And you get the other thing that's been interesting is also even eating. So like I, it, over the course of losing all the weight that I've lost to try and stop the afib from coming back, I quit eating a lot of junk food. Like I just cut it all out. And, you know, I still eat out sometimes. You know, I'll still eat Chipotle here and there, or, you know, I'll go to Subway or, you know, I'll go to a sit down restaurant and have a steak, but I don't do it a lot. And I don't eat a lot of preservative filled fast food or anything of that nature. And now, when I don't eat that and I never eat that, if I do eat it for any reason, I get sick like immediately. And I can't help but feeling that that's just another adaptive behavior that my body got used to, right? It got used to all those preservatives and all that junk that I was eating. And it adaptively was able to cope with all those preservatives. And then when I quit, my baseline changed. And now it's like, nope, you can't eat that. (laughs) It's generally easier,
1: even if you're cooking at home or making your food at home, it's just easier. Uh, And then, of course, when you go out to eat, you know, the a lot of the good stuff is processed in some manner, or highly processed. Yeah. I, li- I kid you not. I am maybe a week ago I read a uh, study. Uh, I'm trying to find some follow ups or something for more support, but uh, this study found that, uh, and they had a really large control group. It was, I mean, it's got the bones of being a very powerful study. That the the group. They all they had various mental um, mental health disorders. Uh, none of them. I don't want to say any of them like severe, uh, meaning like schizophrenia or you know uh, borderline personality disorders right. or uh, not that that's so horrible, but you know bipolar wasn't so much that. <clears throat> they changed their diets, so the one group did not change their diet. the The numbers were in the thousands. They went on a whole foods diet. So it wasn't um, vegan or vegetarian. They ate meat. Just not uh, processed. Just couldn't stuff. be processed. Yes. And of those that changed their diets, a third, a third of them went off their meds. That's insane.
0: That is a huge amount, <laughs> a, a tremendous amount.
1: I mean, I didn't even read. I mean, I got to finish reading it and finding more because I want to know. Okay, a third one off. How many reduced? Reduced, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Was it a lot too? I and, believe uh, it probably. And as, as you would expect, the control group no change, right? Or you know, minor, minor changes. Yeah, makes logical sense though. Yeah, but can you can you imagine? Like all they did is change their diet and they stopped eating highly processed foods. And their mental health improved, and in some cases, dramatically. Like it said, a third. I got to get into the real data to find out. Is it like you know, really thirty three point three 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 infinity, or you know, is it
0: anything more than twenty five percent? To me, is like a huge number, though, just for is- something as simple as modifying your diet. Right? I mean, not that that's easy, because don't you know? Don't lie to yourself. It's it all goes to. I mean. All of it really ties into it's all about all of this requires work, right? You have to be willing to do the work, regardless of whether it's your eating habits or your mental health or anything. You have to be willing to do the work. And if you're willing to do the work, you will see results. That is unequivocally 100% true. It may not come fast and it may not come easy, but it absolutely will come. There is no way you will not have some level of success if you put in the effort. That's. And I think the human body reminds me, it's funny because every day I talk with my wife and I talk about cars that I help diagnose. And then she, you know, talks to me and says, hey, you know, it's the parallels between she tries to help fix people, I try to help fix cars. And I see more parallels between the two than I think a lot of people realize, right? So even in the even in the experience of watching people try to diagnose a specific problem on a car, so often people forget the foundational, as I like to call them, principles, you know, they they forget, hey, you've got an electrical problem. Well, did we check the alternator and the battery and the battery cables and all that stuff? The, the, the nuts and bolts that make the car run, it has to have those. It's just your mental health is just like that to your body. You need your mental health to be good. It needs to be fundamentally sound or the results of the things that you try to accomplish will be lesser, poorer. You know, it won't, you won't see the achievement that you're looking for. And I mean, it's the same thing with your physical health, right? Physical health, mental health. It's anytime you're looking at an entire picture, you want to take all of those things into account. So the study you're talking about makes total logical sense to me. It fits together, right?
1: It it does. And I hate, I kind of hated to bring it up because I don't, you know, I haven't read it all and I don't have all the data. But my guess, my guess is where it's leading and again, probably maybe shouldn't even be saying this stuff because I'm making an assumption and I f- fix cars for a freaking living and I'm no assuming <laughs> waxing, yeah, intellectual, waxing intellectual on this medical study about diet. But my suspicion is it's going to lead to something pertaining to the gut microbiome and its effect. You know, a lot of times it gets referred to as uh, the, the, the second brain. Uh, so, I, I have a suspicion that that's where it's going to lead is when the gut microbiome gets healthy, there's a not, I don't want to, immediate is not the right word, but um, a, a very direct improvement to, towards your mental health as well.
0: Sympathetic nervous system response would be my bet. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? So, it, it's funny you say that though, because if you actually go look up potassium sorbate. That is one of the preservatives that is in an unbelievable, and they call it different things. Sometimes it'll call sorbative or sorbit, sorbate or whatever. It's, there's different terms, kind of like MSG is hidden in a lot of different ways. And you know you can find like modified food starch and all that crap. Well, potassium sorbate is the same way. And that is actually one of the preservatives that will kill the healthy bacteria in your gut. And surprise, surprise, it's in a ton of processed food at a monumental level. I actually picked up on that a while ago, and I was like, hmm, this seems to be an issue where like, if you have a lot of potassium sorbate, you feel really terrible, and you end up in the bathroom a lot, and uh, your body just can't quite right itself, and... You know, if you look up what it is, it's essentially something that's used for, like, sterilization purposes and whatnot. And I'm going, that doesn't seem like something you should be putting in your body. <laughs> that's like drinking a very small amount of bleach or something something akin to that. And, you know, you got to figure that's going to kill the stuff bit in your A of bleach gut. kills a lot of, you know, bad <laughs> things, too. Don't yeah, you might that. kill some bad things, but you're going to kill some yeah. good things, too. Yeah, but the, probably a I lot think of good things that's just one preservative I ran across that I noticed was in a lot of the processed food that I used to eat pretty regularly. And boy, oh boy. The other thing that's, you know, that's been kind of, kind of game changing for me was the Apple watch. So I've used the Apple watch a lot to track calories, track exercise, that kind of stuff. But they also have a thing on it that, uh, a breathe app that basically you can go through and do deep breathing exercises and you can program it to do it on a regular basis. And, it, it really does. It can make a big difference. I mean, there's all sorts of studies that talk about how it stimulates the nervous system in a constructive fashion. And like ironic that you mentioned dealing with customers earlier. But if you ever have a customer that's having an absolute meltdown, take three huge deep breaths in front of them. I guarantee you they will immediately go from here to here. And they will, it's a response. The human body responds back to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Almost like yawning, right? Yeah. It is. It's just like the yawning response. It's super similar. They will take a deep breath and suddenly their nervous system will go down a little bit and they'll calm down and they'll be less mad and they'll be easier to talk to. But, but a phrase that I always felt was really actually useful when I was dealing with customers, when I used to do front shop stuff and, you know, manage a shop was when I was having the conversation, I was just like, let's be let's be let's be fair let's be rational let's be i'm trying to help you here you know what i'm i'm not your enemy i want to help you i want to make this right let's let's be let's work together to find a solution here and and i think when you just have a really even tone and a calm disposition and you talk to people that way eventually they kind of go oh yeah i'm yelling (laughs) and they kind of go oh yeah i'm kind of melting down. <laughs> and then, you know, you do the three deep breaths and suddenly they're, suddenly they're back to normal and they calm down. And I can't tell you how many people where they came in and because their perception was something was not okay in the initial interaction. And I got them back to, okay, we're okay. And they left happy and everything was all good. And it's, it, you know, it's so important to remember that everybody you deal with, employees, your, your customers, everybody, they can all be struggling with mental health. They can all be struggling with having a anxiety attack. I mean, they probably are having an anxiety attack. Cars are expensive to fix and you go, Hey, look, it's $3,000 to fix your car. And they go, I mean, I just put a furnace in my house and that was seven or $8,000. So <laughs> let's, let's be honest. You get a car bill that's two, 000, three, 000, four thousand $4,000 or more. Yeah, I can understand I, it. Who isn't going to react to that, right? Who Who isn't going to get upset?
1: Did you make sure to tell the installer that you used to be an HVAC technician?
0: <laughs> no, no, I didn't say anything to him. But but I did say, you know, I, I was impressed. They did a really good job. Um, the, the installation, I went down and looked, and they did a great job. It looks much better than the initial furnace that was installed in my house. Um, kudos to them. And it was actually two younger guys. So the, the electrician had an apprentice with him who was very young. And then they also had the HVAC guy who was also pretty young. I think they were all in their twenties and I was really impressed. They all did a great job. The only thing one of them forgot, the HVAC guy forgot to plug in the hot water heater. (laughs) He had the the splitter with the hot water heater and the water softener and all that stuff. That was goes to an outlet above the heater and he had plugged the heater in, but he forgot to plug that back in. (laughs) It's the only mistake I found. And I was like, If that's the worst mistake he made, I'm good. I got no concerns. That's fine.
1: What? That should have been a comeback. Oh, my God. You should have been (laughs) melting down on the phone. How dare you? (laughs) Ever since you.
0: (laughs) I got no hot water. No hot water. My wife was like, well, I'm glad you caught that before I went to take a shower because I would have been really upset. And she showers before I do in the morning. So I would have heard some screaming. What's going on? No hot water. (laughs) And understandably so, because that would have been tough
1: to kind of start winding this down. Uh, the, you know, I don't know. I, I worry some of the stuff I've said or done has been making light of it, and I really am not at all. This is very serious, uh, very serious topic, and it's important to talk about and address and be aware of not only for yourself but for your coworkers, for your employees, for your customers, everything, because. Uh, I mean, when it really boils down to it, if you were to guess what's the second leading cause of death in people uh, ages, you know, ten to mid thirties, well, what would you guess it is? Just off the cuff, probably suicide. It's suicide, and half the people, and at least right, and you know, statistics are what they are. You know, I'm not saying take them with a grain of salt, but do you have to? There's a fudge factor, right? Almost fifty percent of those um, who have died by suicide have undiagnosed/slash untreated mental health issues. That's important, and it's really important to us because we're a male, you know, at least right now. And, and in a way, I hope it changes a little bit. If it's going to change, I hope it changes. I don't want to force the issue, but we are male dominated. Um, not society, male dominated. Uh, profession, yes. That's all there is to it. We are totally true. And when it boils down to it, about eighty percent of all suicides are men, males. I mean, th- there's some weight to this, and, and I'm not trying to insinuate that. There's just these numbers are they're they're too high. I don't want to blow it out of proportion. You know, like a lot of our media out there, I'm not trying to blow this out of proportion, but it's enough to be aware of. Yeah. No, it is serious. It is a big deal. Yeah. To take it seriously. And if you are struggling or feel like you're struggling, there is so much help out there. Uh, A lot of information through NAMI, uh, which is?
0: National Association for Mental Illness, I
1: believe. That sounds right. Nation, yep, national alliance know, on <laughs> mental, no, it's national. Yep, national alliance on mental health issues, and um, you know, hopefully, everybody listening to this uh, becomes a uh, kind of a uh, supporter or somebody that can be gone to and talked to, and not that you're going to help them yourself, but get them in touch with resources. Just understand that you're by no means alone.
0: I have talked with a few people just through Facebook groups and whatever that have struggled with stuff. And just being an ear and listening to someone might be enough to help them get over the hump to the next step, you know, going in to talk to a therapist or, you know, talking to their doctor about depression, medication or whatever it might be. But, you know, being there for someone and being supportive is huge. And, you know, having an open door policy if you're a manager, important. The mental health of everybody, so important.
1: Yeah, having that relationship or culture, if you will, and, and that's a word that gets thrown around a lot. I don't want it to lose its, you know, power or effectiveness. But the, the culture of the as a manager, as a leader, you're approachable and um, crucial. That, uh, but you brought up doctor, and I think that's important not to go, not to avoid it either, but not to go to the doctor with the goal of walking out there with some pills to try. To get, you know, the first step probably should be a physical. Yeah. Is there anything, you know, wrong first and foremost physically? Hormonally. To address. Yep. Hormonally. I mean, that's, you can't discount that. That is a possibility. Whatever. Super low iron levels or, I mean, I don't. Vitamin
0: really D. To, I mean, yeah, you yeah. never know. There's a, there's a lot of things like that. And I mean, I think it's, but again, another parallel to cars, right? So you need to assess the baseline health of. A human being, just like you would a car, right? There's basic things you do. You check all the fluids. You check the battery. You check the alternator. It's basic stuff, right? So, you, But you should be doing that regularly with yourself as a human being. You should go in for your physical yearly. And fu- doctors really, to me, are no different than a, a therapist if you're going to try to find a therapist. You may not be seeing a doctor you like or that you're comfortable with, and that's important. Find someone who is. There is no shortage of doctors, just like there's no shortage of technicians and shops, right? If you find one that you don't like, that doesn't mean you shouldn't go. That just means you need to find a different one, and there's different ones for everybody. And I, I mean, I think I saw five different doctors until I found the one that I have now, and I have a great relationship with this doctor, and she does a phenomenal job, and She's treated everything that I've run across, whether it's an injury related to hockey or it's, you know, any of this other stuff. She's done a phenomenal job, but she listens and she's very, very, very treats the whole picture, looks at everything. And, you know, just a great doctor, which ironically I was referred to by my wife (laughs) because she she goes to her as well. She used to go to her, but.
1: You're crediting your wife an awful lot in this podcast. Is she standing off screen there? No, no. Oh, no. Okay. She was uh she was downstairs exercising. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very, very much for coming on here and talking to me about this. And uh again, I can't stress enough. Don't fear for, uh being alone, uh that you're the only one. You know, don't hesitate to reach out, you know, understand that there's a lot of resources out there. And people are probably gonna be more understanding uh, than you think you know try not to have the anxiety of how they're gonna react before you give them a chance to act or react so
0: and there's no reason to feel shame
1: yeah I know it's easier said than done it's it, it's perfectly normal to have an
0: issue you know it, it's I think that's one of the things that especially like you were saying with the men uh, male gender as a whole uh, that we've dealt with as you know so much of it is a keep it inside don't have feelings don't don't experience anything don't have a problem just tough it out whatever and that there are days where there's that makes sense and there are times where they you know you got to eat it and just get through it maybe you got to go to work when you feel like garbage or whatever yeah that's that that's part of just being an adult but there's also, you need to look in the mirror and go, I'm not okay sometimes. And if you're not okay, you got to deal with it. And there's no shame in that whatsoever because when you're at your best, you bring your best to everybody in your life, whether it's your job or your family or your friends or your children or whoever it is, they get the best from you when you're at your best. And the only way you can do that is be, be honest with yourself
1: if you are not okay. you know. Yeah, there's a Bill Burr bit about it. You got to push it down. And don't get me wrong. If you go watch it, I'm a big Bill Burr fan. It's blue. <laughs> it's blue, but there's a lot of truth to it. And it's funny because it's true. And that's exactly what we're conditioned to do. You know, it's maybe fine to a point. Right? There's
0: practicality sometimes, you know, right? just like I said, you got to go to work to pay your bills. So yeah, I feel like garbage today and I really don't want to go to work, but you got to go. Right. So if it's, If it's unless it's literally you can't do it, there are days where you do fight through stuff. You know, it's no different than professional athletes. They play injured all the time and they play probably battling mental health issues on a regular basis. So it's not like nobody else is struggling with it. But that's the thing is you can know that the other guy next to you might be struggling with it as well. Talk about it. And, you know, you don't know who's going to be supportive and who's not. Find the people who are supportive and tap those people, you know, and. I mean, I, I've i tried to be supportive. If I see anybody struggling, I try to reach out and say, hey, I don't have the answers here, but I can definitely try to help you find some people who can help you. And if you just want to talk,
1: I'll listen. You know, I can't hurt. Yep. Same here. And if you're looking, you know, if, if you suspect there's an issue and you're starting the process of, you know, a, a doctor, maybe a therapist, you know, whatever. I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm pushing one way or the other. Uh, I think there's logical sense in starting at the doctor at least to rule out some uh, obvious physical issues, you know, with the blood tests and all that. Um, but also, uh, if you're looking into it, looking into treatments already in treat- some sort of a program or treatment that you don't feel is working, bring up this uh, cranial electrotherapy stimulation, at least have a discussion with them, get an idea of what they think about it, Um. It looks like it's totally legit. Hocken has had very good results with it. Keep that in the back of your mind as well. Again, Hocken, thank you so much for uh, opening up about that stuff, talking about some pretty personal things. Can't thank you enough. I really do appreciate it. And thank you for listening. This is Matt Fonzle with Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. And I look forward to talking to you next time. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow, diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your
0: favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.